Earlier this week, we were joined by Wedbush Securities Research Analyst, Mr. Michael Pachter. Uh, he's also the host of the Pack Attack. Now, Michael is always very opinionated, but he always has a good insight as to where this industry is going and where it's moving. We spent a little under an hour asking Michael questions about where the industry is right now, post-PS4, post-Xbox One, where the Wii U is going, what he thinks about VR, and uh, sales in general. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation between Michael Pachter, Giuseppe Nelva, and myself. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Dual Shockers. And this is Giuseppe Nelva, news editor. We have uh, Joel Tavares, our deputy uh, editor, and we have a special guest today, uh, the person of uh, Michael Pachter, uh, sorry, uh, analyst of uh, Webbush uh, Security Club and uh, Crystal Ball Holder Extraordinaire like uh, Sirham Cohen. So welcome, Michael, and thank you for joining us. Of course. Uh, we're going to talk for a bit about games, about the market, about uh, pretty much everything in the field of expertise of uh, Michael. Uh, well, not everything could be, that would take like a couple of weeks or more, but we're going to, to, to touch a few, uh, a few different elements. Uh, first of all, uh, there is one question that I think it's very much in everyone's head right now, uh, which is uh, Morpheus, this uh, virtual reality headset Sony just presented last week. Uh, are you familiar with it, Michael? I didn't attend the Sony event. I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I think it's <laughs> kind of stupid. So yes, I'm familiar with virtual reality and uh, don't expect it to be a particularly large market anytime soon. So, so you think it's a stupid idea? I think it's a bad idea for multiple participants to chase it, and I think it's a really bad idea for Sony. Um, I have no problem with the Oculus Rift guys trying it because they're a startup, and so you know, if it's a very small market and they dominate, that's great. But if it's a small market and there are multiple players, it's going to be hard for anybody to make money. And I don't think it's going to be a big market. I mean, it sounds interesting, but I don't think that there will be enough content to justify making the the capital investment to create the the headset. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's chicken and egg. If there's no content, you're not going to buy a virtual virtual reality headset. And if you don't buy virtual reality headsets, there won't be any content because no one will will make a dedicated game for a very small audience. Now, the Oculus Rift guys are making some games themselves. They've hired some pretty impressive people. Um, Sony certainly is capable of doing the same. And if you want to think about Sony's success here, remember all the big 3D games they made and how well those did. I mean, nobody cares. So I think it's just a super, super small market. There's a term called vesticular motion, V-E-S-T, Testicular rhymes with testicular. Look it up. It's it's that dizziness and disorientation you get when you are looking at something like virtual reality. So you won't be able to play it standing up because you'll fall over. And if you're playing it sitting down, what's the point? Why not just play a console game? So I, I don't quite get it. I think uh, virtual reality is the killer solution if you want to have sex and you want to have sex with a virtual <laughs> partner. But short of that, I don't think that we really need it, want it. I think we're fine looking at a two-dimensional screen. 
or a three-dimensional screen, and I just don't think it's ever going to be big. But I, I'm prepared to be I, wrong. I, I, want, I wanted to jump in just because um, I just I feel it's funny that um, you know they're they're already talking price points, and um, well, all the demos that I that I was watching um, featured Move controllers, and I'm like, just oh no, not again. You know, so what? You know, how is Sony going to corral people to spend two forty nine, two ninety nine, and then when you get to the store, they're like, "Oh, by the way, you're going to need these wands as well." You know, how's that going to yeah, work? Yeah, I. They won't. I mean, that's the point. You know, gamers have shown that they're not particularly interested in peripherals. So none of the peripherals have ever done well, with the exception of Connect. And I think the less the motion control and more the voice command with Connect. But even then, people who bought it. What about what about my Super Scope 16 for my Super NES? There you go. Very few people buy peripherals. <laughs> no, I know. They just don't have high. <laughs> yeah, I think that much. Uh, the the thing that may actually change things is that the price is lower than the Oculus may be, but I don't think, don't think that's compelling enough. I think Oculus will be happy with a million sales. I mean, if they get a million sales, they're going to make a ton of money. So a million sales is a huge success for Oculus Rift. It's a you know a, just a hiccup for Sony. So I think people believe that Sony validated the concept by offering something of their own. The Oculus Rift guys, I don't think, are looking to sell tens of millions of units. I think that if they sell a million. They'll they'll create some more content, and then the next iteration sell two, and the next iteration sell four. I think they have a very patient, long-term plan. A million of these for Sony is a rounding error. They're better off spending the money on marketing for PS4. Well said. Now, with with, um, with, with that in particular, do you, like with Oculus in particular, um, do you see it being that success for for um, like VR in general, being a success with uh, the PC consumer more so that, that that kind of consumer that's used to paying for the upgrades every you know every couple of years or so and adding more things to their to their rig already or, or you know what have you. I think that the market for console gaming is a couple hundred million people, you know, two hundred fifty million people, and the market for all types of games is probably several billion people. So I think it's possible that there are a million or two million people out there who either have so much money that they don't mind uh, you know buying a, a extra device so they may have consoles and they may also um, buy oculus rift and then there's probably another million people who have money and aren't interested in console gaming and oculus rift will fascinate them so i think there's plenty of market for oculus rift to address Sony, on the other hand, I think is really tied into PS4, and I just I think that, that they don't intend to offer this as a standalone, but I'm not sure what they're doing. I just don't see it being uh, for them. Talking about uh, profit, uh, since uh, the PS4 is doing really well, but the, from what I'm hearing, especially from uh, Japanese analysts, uh, they don't think it's enough to pull Sony out of the hole, it kind of dug itself into it with other markets. Uh, what do you think about it? Do you think it's, uh, it's going to help? It's going to help a lot? Or it's not going to help enough that they need to uh, set other things first? I, I don't know a lot about Sony's other businesses, so I couldn't tell you how their television division is doing or their, their movie division or their, their, uh, you know, their consumer electronics division. Um, so... I think that PlayStation is going to be a wild success 
and I think the mm-hmm. PlayStation division will be very profitable. But I couldn't tell you what you know they might lose all that money making TV shows. I mean, I'm really not sure. <laughs> Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. They have uh, they have their hands in so many different pots. It's it's kind of crazy. It's a conglomerate. Well, you know, it, it, it's like talking about you know theme park profits in the context of Disney. You know, if the Marvel movies don't work or the or the or Star Wars doesn't work, then Disney's not going to be as profitable, even if their theme park business improves by ten percent. You know, so I can't comment on all of Sony's business because I really just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Something that really interested me in the passage from the last generation to the new generation. I'm going to use the generation term anymore because it's not next anymore, basically anywhere. But uh, last generation, EA was pretty much involved with Sony. They had a lot, a very, very good relationship with Sony. They did launches together. They, uh, at the moment, well, with this generation, they pretty much passed. Uh, on uh, Microsoft uh, side. On the other hand, Activision with the last generation was uh, very much uh, in Microsoft's camp, and now they seem to be moving to Sony's camp, where Beta uh, is exclusive to PlayStation 3 and 4 on uh, on um, for Destiny. There is a rumor that says that they're going to announce that they, they that Call of Duty is going to move. Uh, to PS4 as lead platform, uh, and that's possibly going to happen at D3. Uh, so do you think if, uh, EA was kind of dissatisfied with the first four months of the PS3 last generation, and maybe they thought, oh, let's, let's move to Microsoft 2 uh, with Titanfall, and, uh, and they kind of made the jump to the leadership again. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were a little bit screwed by that. What do you think? I think EA was reactionary last cycle. And so first they thought the Wii was going to be stupid and they made nothing for the Wii. And they thought that the PlayStation would win and they were positioned to support PS3 at launch. And PS3 surprised them at 599 and the Wii surprised them by selling so many gajillions of units right out of the gate. And so Microsoft swung the other way, and I forgot what they called it. Remember that the EA Sports brand that was all play? That's what it's called. So they even came up with a whole new way to play EA Sports, like bobbleheads and all play, and it was idiotic. And, of course, they abandoned that quickly. Um, they embraced Microsoft, I think, more out of necessity than out of design. It's not that they believed that Xbox was better. They just realized that Sony was priced too high, PS3. So they embraced the guy they figured would win, and Microsoft did. I mean, we can argue about Europe, but they but they were ahead for a long time, and Sony played catch-up the last couple of years. And I think this time around, uh, Microsoft, heading into the cycle, assumed that both the Xbox One and the PS4 would be priced co- competitively, and I think they believed that um, the Xbox would maintain its lead. So I think that they got paid to embrace Xbox in the last cycle. I think they got paid again to embrace Xbox in this cycle. I am absolutely 100% confident that Activision was paid for each Call of Duty map pack for a one-month exclusive on Xbox last cycle. Yeah, I think, I, I, think the, I think the details of that deal were announced, though. I thought, it, I thought uh, Microsoft paid like somewhere around 50 um, to, to secure that for like six years, wasn't it? 
I don't know the amount, and I don't remember seeing it disclosed, but that's entirely possible on the whole lawsuit with the uh, with with Infinity Ward and firing Vince and Jason. But I, I don't remember seeing that. That's entirely possible. I could have missed it. Uh, but the point is that you know I know it because Sony told me repeatedly you know Microsoft's paying a lot and we're not going to pay that. Well, I think Sony's paying it now. I think Sony is stepping up. I think Microsoft maybe spent all their money on Titanfall, so maybe Call of Duty will have the lead skew on PS4, and PS4 is a bigger install base right now, so that makes sense. Microsoft will probably come around and, and offer Activision something to get a one-month head start for Call of Duty map packs, but you know maybe this time Sony will match it. So I, I honestly think that the publishers behave based on their desire to make the most money, and although they are far from perfect, they're making their best guess as to who's going to win when they pick a horse in the race. And, you know, EA picked the wrong horse uh, with Sony initially. They picked the wrong horse by backing Nintendo. And then they finally, the third try last, last cycle out of three, they got it right with Microsoft. This time around, they said, we're not backing Nintendo at all, nothing. There are no EA games on the Wii U. I'm sure you guys noticed that. Right. Yeah. So they're spending a lot less on development if they're only making two versions of a game instead of three. And they're able to, you know, they, they backed Microsoft early. We've already seen Titanfall 2 will not be a Microsoft exclusive. So I think they're probably already regretting that decision. I, it's sure funny. They got handsomely. Yeah. I, I actually wanted to segue to that. So it's perfectly that you're talking about it. You know, um, was that was that deal, you know, that exclusivity deal worth it to EA? Um, because what it seems like, you know, Microsoft is a great launch partner and they provided like tons of support. Uh, for Titanfall, I'm sure the team at Respawn appreciated all the launch events and all the hype and you know everything that built up to Titanfall's release. But in the long run, for you know EA's bottom line, was that deal worth it? Whatever it was. Well, we don't know the amount, so the answer is that you know the the foregone sales are whatever the attach rate you think would have been to you know probably something around 15 million PS4s. So probably. You know, the game would have attached at a 30% rate or something. It's a pretty good game. So they probably feel like they, for, you know, they they uh, they lost the opportunity to, to sell another four and a half million units. And you know, who knows what their profit is? Let's just say it's you know 15 bucks per unit nominally. So they probably missed out on 70 million dollars of of sales or something. You know, it's something like that. And if Microsoft paid them $70 million, then it wasn't a bad decision. Um, if, if you think the attach rate's higher and they could have sold into 30 million PS4s and they would have made, you know, 20 bucks, let's just go crazy, then, you know, then maybe they lost a little bit more. But, but it, I mean, I think if, if that's the case, they might have lost $150 million or something. Microsoft probably paid something close to $100 million for the exclusive. That's crazy. It matters to them. They're selling a lot of boxes. So right, right. I wouldn't worry about EA losing money. I mean, EA made a rational decision to you know, to go exclusive, and I don't think you're going to see very many exclusives this cycle. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're making third, money third party. with Titanfall. Well, I'm pretty sure they're making money with Titanfall. Maybe they're not making as much money as they could have, but they're definitely in the black. Well, and, and of course, sure. you know, for every... every uh, they don't have it on on PS4, but that's a reason that at least a million or so people will buy an Xbox One because they want to play Titanfall. Yeah, I mean, so I, if you I, are the gamer who is indifferent, 
you know, then, you know, it's, then you're saying, shoot, I guess I'll get my, get myself an Xbox. If you're a PlayStation, you know, fanatic, um, this bundle, which essentially gives you Titanfall for free, means mm-hmm. that the Xbox costs $40 more than the, than the PlayStation instead of $100 more. And if you saw the discounts, you know, we saw them at Walmart and then today at Best Buy, the Titanfall bundle is $450, yep. which means that the Xbox One, if you believe the game is worth 50 or 60 bucks, the Xbox One's cheaper than the PS4. Yep. And ha- so I'm sure Microsoft's getting back. I'm sorry, Microsoft. Uh, EA's getting back quite a bit in sales. Well, yeah, I, I, we actually um, we reached out to readers on Twitter, and uh, one reader um, re- uh, hit us back with a question uh, in regards to that to that bundle. So um, Stephen, uh, well, I'll just say his Twitter uh, name, STP Farms. He said, uh, you know, how are retailers being compensated with that 450 bundle price drop, and will it be permanent? From what is there anything you're hearing about it? Well, the bundle, if, if it's not across the board at all retailers, then it's not a Microsoft-sponsored discount. So the 450 bundle is uh, Walmart taking a, a loss on the console. Um, typically, the, the retailer is offered a discount of around 30 bucks per console. So Walmart, when they buy consoles, is paying 470 for a $500 console. And they're, prob- they're probably they're looking probably to attach selling. a controller and stuff. I'm assuming. Right, they're hoping. Right, and I think that, so. They're they're probably selling it at twenty dollars below cost. Um, Best Buy is they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer, and I think that they're matching because they don't want to lose share to to Walmart. But you know, losing money. I I literally bought um, Apple iTunes gift cards at Best Buy that were discounted twenty percent, and the margin on Apple iTunes gift cards is not 20%. It's probably 10 or 15. So they were losing money on those, but they think those are traffic drivers. They'll get you to buy other stuff. So yes, if you can cross sell that person, a TV set, well, best, you'll make back your money. best buy has those, uh, those service plans that I know they like to load up on people. So that, that exactly. works. If you buy a, if you buy a warranty, that's almost pure profit. So sure. Hmm. Uh, Going off Titanfall for a moment, uh, there is one thing that is uh, quite interesting. Uh, Ubisoft is seems to be one maybe uh, in a better position than many other publishers lately. Uh, they just announced new Assassin's Creed, uh, and they have Watch Dogs coming now. They have uh, the Division. They seem to to be really stepping up their game to me. From rumors I received from the PlayStation meeting that was held like last month for only for retailers, many were saying that they were the most surprising between uh, the publishers present there, which probably doesn't mean they would be shown as just Assassin's Creed because that's not very much of a surprise, I guess. Uh, what do you think of what Ubisoft is doing at the moment? You know, I, I think that Ubisoft is is kind of a hybrid between Take-Two, who has really great intellectual property. I mean, you can name a dozen brands of Take-Two that are great. And Activision, that has just a handful of brands, but, you know, but manages to release them frequently. And, you know, I think that if Take-Two would do what Ubisoft does and launch its brands every two or three years and have one or two that are annual, they would make a ton of money. Um, Assassin's Creed, you know, I, I was shocked when they said it was an annual franchise. And yet it's been fresh enough. You know, Pirates is a lot different from American Revolution. 
Um, and I think that you know American Revolution is a lot different from Italian Renaissance. So they've, they're keeping you know the game fresh, even though it's an annual franchise. And they've they've sound resolved to delivering a you know a Tom Clancy game every year. So those will probably probably be three games on a on a three year development cycle. Uh, they sound like Watch Dogs will be a, an every year every other year franchise. Far Cry sounds like it's an every other year franchise. I'm not as big a fan of the division or the crew, although you know the buzz on the division is pretty big. It just sounds kind of lame to me. But you know, I think those are probably every other year games. So you know, if Take Two would do that, they'd be making more money than Activision and EA because they have so many great brands. You know, Activision has a handful of great brands and exploits them regularly, and manages not to diminish you know the quality. Um, UB is that kind of Activision-like company with a lot of creativity, and and I have to say, you know, seriously, I I thought Assassin's Creed looked dopey at my first E3 that I saw it, and I really liked the game. I really liked two or three of the five, I guess there have been, um, and I'm looking forward to Watch Dogs. That looks great, and I love Far Cry. So they're they're good. You know, they have good IP and they exploit it pretty well. They make good quality games. Um, they spend a little too much money doing so. They have like you know thousands of people work on every game, but yeah. <laughs> gamers seem to like it. So investors don't don't so far don't like it as much. If they get their games out as frequently as as they sound like they they intend to, I think that stock's going to do very well for people. Uh, I know Joel had a had a question. Savory, do one, Joel? Yeah, I do. It's actually about. I mean, it's about you. Um, and and how they um, how they focus their product. So I guess things are changing up for them a little bit, right? Because um, I got a quote a quote that that the way they're uh, you know approaching new IPs, um, they're kind of I feel like they're becoming like the Disneyland of IP, where they want to make sure not only they have the game, but that the IP ties into the movie, that ties into the book, that ties into the comic. So you know, with all that, with all those resources being spread out, thousands of people working on the game or not, is that going to be successful for them? Well, the movie concept is really not lame. I mean, it, it's entirely possible that that people will buy this stuff. Uh, you know, we'll go see movies, we'll buy the pajamas and the lunch boxes and all that. Uh, they're doing it quite deliberately. They're not going to spend a whole lot of money um, chasing this down. So, you know, I kind of think that they will generate some modest profit. If they do it, you know, I, I've actually just recently talked to them about how they're doing it. If they do it like, uh, you know, the way that Marvel did it in the early years when Marvel made um, uh, Spider-Man, you know, they had a, a third-party studio, Sony, make the, the movie for them, and they don't take a lot of risk, I think it'll actually work fine. It's just, uh, it's just funny. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I, like, when I hear it, wait, what's up, Giuseppe? Uh, I was saying that their movies are actually not too bad compared to the usual high-end movies. No. Like the, the, the no, I know. What I was going to say, though, it's just, it's just I like, the whole approach, it just makes me think of that scene in uh, Spaceballs where he's offering the lunchbox, the movie, the uh, the coloring book, you know, all in one shot. It's just like, I'm wondering, <laughs> spreading out those resources, well, you know, can that, can that make a better can, end product? You can damage the brand if you overexpose it, and you can damage the brand if you spread your internal resources to thin, um, to, but I don't think that's what they contemplate. I don't see them diverting the talent working on making the game 
you know, to making the movie. I mean, they might do script approval or something, but they're certainly not going to be on set, you know, directing the film or anything. I think, I think that if they license out the content for movies or TV shows, like they're talking about doing Ray, Ray, Rabbids, Rayman Rabbids um, as a TV show, I think that'll be fine. I mean, DreamWorks oh, yeah. does that with Madagascar Penguins, and it works fine. And by the way, they 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 hire like crazy. Like I follow their their, their Trouble Fortune news page. Like they add like ten or twelve, fifteen new jobs a week or more. Like you continue hiring again and again and again. Uh, moving on to uh, to a, a little difference because uh, a lot of people criticize you uh, and your predictions. Uh, because uh, they think they don't uh, really, let's say, make the interest of of gamers and games. But I think they don't realize that you're an analyst and you're used to talk to investors, not to... uh, I I will say, you know, this is like saying that a lot of people think I'm ugly. I don't really care. (laughs) I mean, what my wife thinks. So as far as my as far as my my predictive ability, I really only care what the people who pay me think, and they're fine with how I do. So I could care less what gamers think, and it's like I don't take the interests of gamers into account. You know, pardon me, but fuck them. Like it's not it's that's not how I do my job. I do my job trying to help investors figure out what companies are going to do. Most companies act out of what's called enlightened self-interest. So they want to exploit the consumer to the maximum extent that they can without alienating the consumer. So they understand that if you burn a consumer, then they're going to leave and you're not going to get them back. So they are trying to charge them one penny less than the consumer could, can, you know, will cause the consumer to switch to somebody else. And that's fine. I just comment on whether they're effective at doing that or not. Doesn't mean yep. that I want consumers to do, you know, to suffer. I, no, what, what I, I, want, to ask I, I want all people to be happy. The world would be a better place. <laughs> oh yeah. What I want to ask though is, I would, I would like you to uh, give us a little bit of an overview of the difference between what investors normally want, because a lot of people don't realize that uh, investors are who companies actually need to respond to. So Sony needs to respond to investors. Uh, Microsoft needs to respond to investors. Nintendo needs to respond to investors. And uh, most of the times, I think gamers don't don't really realize that. So I would like you to give us a little bit of an overview of the difference between the interest of investors and the interest of you know gamers or you know the, the quality of the game. Well, they're, they're often they don't match. All people who consume entertainment would like to get it for free. They'd like to get as much entertainment as they can for free. And the movie model is a good one. I mean, it explains it pretty well. That if you want to see the movie the first day it is released, you aren't going to be able to see it for free. You're going to pay 10 or $15 for a movie ticket. If you want to see it uh, two months after it comes out, you probably can go to a Saturday matinee for $3. If you want to see it eight or nine months after it comes out, you can rent a, a video you know, for a dollar twenty, if you use Redbox. If you want to wait until it's on, you know, HBO, then for fifteen dollars a month, you can watch as many movies as they put on. So, it, you know, it's all over the place. 
what people are willing to pay. If you wait for commercial TV, then it's free. You can put rabbit ears up and watch it for free. My father didn't go to the movies for the last 25 years of his life and used to wait for movies to come on commercial television because he didn't want to pay. And so, you know, that's fine. Those are great models. Uh, businesses are trying to segment what they, what they sell entertainment to consumers for, and they're trying to capture as much as they can that first day in the theater, and they're trying to capture some more when it comes out on DVD and some more when it comes on HBO and some more when it comes out on commercial TV. The gaming companies aren't any different. They're just trying to make as much money as they can, and I think consumers think every game should be free. So, great. There's a tension there, as there should be. If a game isn't worth $60, consumers won't buy it. And then the company who made it won't make money. And if a game sells 32 million units like Grand Theft Auto did, my guess is most people felt it was worth $60. So I, I don't really care. I, I, I just talk about games when they come out, and I kind of predict demand for the games and figure out how many units I think they will sell. And then I take all, that, all those numbers and figure out what the, uh, what the publisher's profits will be. And I'm usually pretty close. Uh, everything I do is wrong, but when you add it all up, it gets pretty close to right because I make oh, yeah. both directions. And so I don't really care. <laughs> uh, one thing that's interesting, uh, going back to Sony for a moment, uh, Sony seems to have made a lot of good decisions with the PS4. They seem to, to, to get is not so right with the, the, the accessories. Like, I'm, I'm not so sure that uh, like uh, uh, PS Now, PlayStation Now, and now the, the, the Morpheus will do that great. But the core of the PS4 business seems to be very solid. Do you think the fact that uh, Ken Kutaragi, uh, sorry, not Ken Kutaragi, I mean, um, um, Kazurai, sorry. Kazurai became the, the CEO of, uh, of uh, overall Sony, actually uh, made the change. And now that he has more control, he has kind of a PlayStation guy because we worked at PlayStation for a whole lot of time. Uh, do you think he's one of the causes behind the, the success of PS4, at least the initial success? Oh, of course. Yeah, I do. Although I think Jack Tretton was one of the people as well, and he's no longer with Sony. So, um, look, I think Sony Sony is just not stupid. I mean, Sony learned that it's a bad idea to launch a console a year late, and so this time they didn't. And they learned it's a bad idea to launch a console at $600, so this time they didn't. Um, <laughs> they haven't yet learned that, you know, that, all these peripherals are kind of stupid. Microsoft hasn't learned it either, so they have Kinect in every box. Um, they haven't yet learned that that you know that they because they bought Gaikai doesn't mean that they have to offer a streaming service. I'm not sure there is a lot of demand for a streaming service, and I'm not sure there will be a lot of third-party party content available. But they're going to chase that. They're going to chase peripherals, and you know, it may or may not work. Um, they did learn that they can't give away PlayStation Network for free, so they created PlayStation Plus. And essentially, if you want to play online multiplayer, you're paying Sony 50 bucks a year. And they mm -hmm. also learned that the more they give you for free, that doesn't cost them very much, like free you know, PlayStation uh, Network games, that people will find that there's a lot of value in the system. 
you know, I think Sony does a lot of things right and a lot of things wrong. PlayStation Now is one I think that's wrong, but it, they'll figure it out eventually. I think that thing's going to be a disaster. Well, it's funny that you, you're, 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 you're like um, nothing against PlayStation Now, and I totally uh, respect your opinion here, but it, it seems that there's going to be other players jumping in on this now, right? So um, I don't know if you saw the leaked controller for Amazon, but apparently they're going to be a player soon as well. Um, yeah, but it's going to be – that'll be mobile. It's an Android-based thing, so you're not going to play Call of Duty on your Amazon console. You're going to play, you know, Flappy Birds. Is it going to be another Ouya? It is another Ouya. I mean, it's but – but, but what Ouya did wrong was it was a dedicated game console, and what Amazon is doing is it's marrying uh, an Apple TV or Roku box with a game console. So there's another reason to get it because it does other things. Now, the Xbox already does that, of course, um, and so does the PlayStation. But I think that Amazon is hopeful that, you know, people who can't figure out how to, how to tune Netflix on their, you know, on their console will be able to plug and play with this Amazon box. Chromecast does all that, too, as you know. Uh, but Chromecast doesn't get games. Apple TV doesn't get games. Roku doesn't get games. So all they're doing is adding the mobile game dimension to it. And some people will find that compelling. It's not going to compete with, you know, with PlayStation. You think it's going to be a PlayStation buyer who doesn't care about games? Right. I mean, I just saw, I just saw the controller. I didn't, I didn't think that the controller itself was. It, the, the controller didn't look like it was going to be a, like a casual mobile experience because my. No, it looks like an Xbox controller yeah. with the word Amazon put on right. it, so I, which I think is exactly what right. that thing was. Right. Now, the, the only reason I thought I considered them a player was because, um, again, I don't know if you're familiar with with Amazon's infrastructure, but it's their cloud is so, so like their, their back end is so ridiculously large. Um, you're talking about even Netflix runs off of Amazon. You yes, know, so I know. I think Definitely. I feel like I feel like if anyone's positioned, you know, to 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 really make a splash in that whole streaming environment, it would be them. But I wanted to know what your take on it was. Also, um, other players that want to jump in as well, because we got now now you got Square Enix, who, who they're also experimenting, or they're they're planning on using games as a service. You know, it, and now now do we have to worry about not just the main guys providing this kind of service, but also the pubs maybe keeping their games out of other services and making you buy into theirs in the future? I think this whole service concept is much harder to do than, than the average person seems to expect. Um, you need an aggregator. So PlayStation now wants to be the aggregator. I mean, Square Enix can't do it. Um, and you're not going to get content offered by each individual publisher. I think EA would like to do that with Origin, but it won't work. Uh, you need somebody. Look, we get cable TV. We don't go to NBC.com to watch you know, NBC. We get a cable provider to give us you know, 200 channels because we don't know what's on and we don't want to figure it out. And I think you'll always have an aggregator. PlayStation Now is just an aggregator of content. And remember what I said about the movie model where the movie studios are trying to exploit every single window of opportunity to make money, the game guys are as well, and they're not going to give anything to PlayStation now until they're convinced that they've made all the money that they can possibly make off of their content, and that is just not going to happen for at least two years after the content comes out. So I would say uh, no content newer than two years old from third parties on PS Now, unless Sony's willing to pay a lot for it, and they're not. All right. So I, I think it's going to fail. And uh, <laughs> that's going to be a big investment for sure to get some big titles there. Yeah, I don't uh, think. Uh, 
files other than their own. Yeah. I mean, uh, there no, online didn't have any big titles. No, it did not. Hmm. It did not. It uh, had, uh, Homefront. That was it. NBA 2K, two years old, whatever it was. <laughs> Nothing new. <laughs> now, Microsoft is doing, is doing a lot worse with, uh, with the games for gold. Uh, it, games with gold. Uh, I don't even remember how it's called. Like they, they are really giving some really, really old games with uh Right, because uh, they have to pay for them. Right, they have to pay for them, and so it's expensive. You think they actually pay for those? I mean, for the super oh sure, they give you Assassin's Creed too. Yeah, they paid for it. I'm yeah. sure they didn't pay more than five bucks, but they paid for it. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit more than five. I hope for Ubisoft, but yeah, I'm not I don't sure know. I think Ubisoft probably figures if Microsoft pays five and guarantees, you know, half a million or something, that's more money than they would have actually sold. Very few people who got the free games on PlayStation, I'm sorry, on Xbox Live, um, were planning on going out and buying the game for 10 bucks or right. 100 bucks at GameStop. So. Well, you meant five a copy. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I meant, yeah, I didn't mean five dollars total. No, I meant per. <laughs> they offer it. They offered it for free. Now I already played Assassin's Creed 2, so I didn't. I didn't download it because I already played it. I already. I still own the yeah. disc, and I didn't need to play it. So they didn't have to pay five dollars per for every single Xbox Live member, only for the you know half a million or million or two million who actually downloaded it. So that's how so they the payment with the PlayStation Plus. Sorry. The payment for that kind of service normally is made by the by the copy downloaded. I'm sure. Like yeah. uh, there may have been a minimum guarantee. Maybe they guaranteed a million or five million dollars or something. But yes, it's like that. Gotcha. Um, Another, uh, another interesting topic uh, we should probably touch um, would uh, would Nintendo being a little bit uh, of a, uh, lagging a little bit behind for this generation? There seems to be that a, a little bit of a cycle in uh, for pretty much every company, which I kind of call the, the cycle of crisis, learning, and improving. Basically. Uh, Sony was in a crisis last generation and now improved and uh, learned and improved. Uh, Microsoft uh, uh, was doing great last generation. And now they kind of sit, sit down because maybe they, they got a little bit complacent. They, they wanted a little bit better, better margins maybe to satisfy their investors. And, and now they're probably going to learn and improve again. And uh, uh, Nintendo seems to be in the same process now. They, they had a big generation last generation. Now they are in a crisis. Do you, do, you, do you see the same thing? Do you think it is what actually happens normally? I'd say the difference between Nintendo and Sony is that mm -hmm. Sony has a capable leader and Nintendo doesn't. So, uh, you know, sure. They should. You really don't like Iwata. Pardon? You really don't like Iwata. I'm sure he's a nice man, but he's not a very good leader. I mean, he's, not, he's not a good business manager. He, you know, he still makes comments like it's never too late for the Wii U to, to you know, do well from, from compelling content. He's wrong. It's too late. I mean, the point is that Microsoft, I'm not Microsoft, EA is not making games for the Wii U. And as of today, they're never going to. They have no intention of making games for the Wii U. So when he says it's not too late, uh, you know, I guess, Giuseppe, you're in Italy. How popular yeah. is FIFA in Italy? So you know, how many Italians who play FIFA oh. 
are going to be you. Yeah, it's just if you don't have FIFA, if you don't have you know Madden, if you don't have Need for Speed, if you don't have Battlefield, how long before Call of Duty is not on the Wii U? How long before Watch Dogs is not on the Wii U? If no games are on the Wii U, then I don't think Nintendo can recover. And I think that they're so, – so the way to learn is learn that your console is not selling and aggressively court the third-party publishers and get them to put their content on, and Nintendo's not doing that. Sony never had that problem. Do you think UI is going to be replaced anytime soon? I have no idea. I don't know if the board of uh, Nintendo is independent enough or smart enough to figure that out. So, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I have no idea. Gotcha. Uh, behaved so far, they're not smart enough to figure it out. So, uh, he's going to, to stay in the throne for a while longer, probably. Well, oh, I, so I don't expect them to recover. I mean, imagine this. You know, Super Smash Brothers and Mario Kart each sell about 30 million or sold about 30 million on the Wii. You can't sell 30 million on the Wii U if there are only 5 million Wii U. I mean, sure, they might sell 3 or 4 or 5 million more Wii U because of Smash Brothers. That would be great. But that game, which did 30 million last cycle, will do 10 this cycle. That means they make one-third as much profit for the same development cost. That's just not very well well managed business. So I guess the, the, this, this begs the question, uh, when do they just stop with hardware? Well, if, as I, long as Iwata's there, never. And I don't think they should stop making hardware. I think they should concede that they screwed up on the Wii U. It's just not that interesting. And I think better hardware. go back to the drawing board and make a better console. And while they're waiting make money on software by putting it on other platforms. They can always pull it off of other platforms in the future. But in the meantime, if they don't have compelling hardware, then make your software available for a lot more people and and make profit on software and then convince consumers that this experience is so great that when your next console comes out, the Nintendo software experience will even be better because it will be optimized for their console. I mean, the Nintendo apologists say you can't put Game Boy or Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance games on a cell phone because the control scheme is so complicated. You remember your Game Boy? It has a frickin' D-pad and and an A button and a B button. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, oh, we can't do that on a phone. Yeah, because to make Mario jump, you can't tap the screen. You know, you know, actually, you know yeah, but, some of but, come on, it's just so stupid. It's like if you convince people that this is great content and, and all of us learned how to use the D-pad and the A and B buttons, we'll all learn how to use the cell phone controls or the tablet controls. If, if you open it up to that audience, you're going to have a billion people who have never seen a Nintendo game before try it. And if you get a billion people to try it, Maybe 20 or 30 or 40 million of them will buy a console. I mean, I think Nintendo absolutely should be doing that. But the Nintendo apologists are just like Iwata. They say, but Nintendo's never done that before. Therefore, they can't. That's, that's enlightened thinking. Okay, whatever. <laughs> the funny thing is that the Prime Minister of Japan just said during the diet that the founder should learn from Nintendo. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is, where that is going to go. <laughs> 
what they should learn that. Nintendo's past success or yeah, current probably. current strategy. Yeah, from, the, from the fact that they remain attached to tradition while still innovating. Well, I, I guess I'm, I, I don't know the Prime Minister of Japan, so I have no idea what he's thinking or what he's talking about. But uh, anyway, yeah, it was just just a kind of a of a inside joke, but yeah, I did say that. Anyway, um, another thing that I've seen that is going to be a kind of a big difference between Sony and Microsoft, uh, they have they are adding uh, Elder Scrolls, Scrolls Online. Uh, new MMORPG from the, from Zenimax uh, is going to be uh, is going to require um, gold uh, Xbox Live Gold plus the the, the monthly fee on uh, Xbox and it is not going to require PlayStation Plus but it's going to require monthly fee on uh, PlayStation 4. Uh, do you think this kind of deal Sony actually paid for it or is more of a strategic? Uh, deal from uh, honestly i don't know and and mm-hmm. good question um i don't know i i can probably find out but i can't answer it here mm-hmm. well maybe that's that's a good question for you max uh pocket attack <laughs> yeah i don't i actually don't know the answer i'll have to ask microsoft what's going on there they'll tell me because right. no, it seems it seems like it's a very specific difference you know uh, I'm like sorry. Having to pay, it seems like a very specific and almost deliberate difference. Having to pay uh, the, the 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 monthly fee plus gold on one side and not having to pay PlayStation Plus on the other side. Like it, it's weird. It's really surprised well, me. I mean, if if they put if uh, Netflix is behind a paywall, I don't see why any other game would be different though. Um, you know, that, that's, I think that's been Microsoft's MO with, with live in general. So you want to play online? Got to pay the toll. I think that's just what it's been. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, I actually, I want to just, I kind of, um, I don't know if we're, if we're running out of time here, Michael, but I just wanted to ask you about, um, basically both holiday, both, uh, consoles where they're at right now, um, and what we can expect this holiday. So, you know, we're, we're now we're post Titanfall and post infamous, you know, both, uh, heavy hitters. Oh, you or... know, I've got a I've got a call starting in like a second. By the way, so oh. I'm going to have to bug off when my phone rings. So anyway, ask the question quickly. Okay, so really quick. Basically, um, last right, right now, last holiday, we saw a lot of cross generational stuff. What is this holiday going to look like? Because right now, from from here until E3 until holiday, it's like a desert for both camps. You know what? What, what can uh, gamers and people look forward to? Because Titanfall, well, uh, Titanfall in a week or two. And uh, FIFA World Cup and possibly UFC. Pop UFC? See, you know, Watch Dogs and Destiny are the two big back back half launches that are new. Um, I, I think that, you know, we'll get plenty of new stuff. Uh, as the, the current gen consoles are going to be vibrant as long as they're priced so high because there's room for, you know, to, to knock $150 off of each. Right. And so if you start getting, you know, $149 Xbox 360s and PS3s, then you're going to see lots of people buying them and lots of people buying games. So, you know, it's going to be the, the next-gen exclusives are few and far between. Evolve is one, um, but you're not going to see too many of them. Most games will be cross-platform. And, you know, you'll get more next-gen exclusives next year and more the next year. But I think we've got a multi-platform world for the next two or three years. 
or so, you know, so I feel like it's a first, new IP. Yeah. I feel like it's just the first time that we've had this like cross generational gap and it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be sticking around for, for a while. That's all. Yeah. Because we haven't had vibrant consoles for a while because the, the N64 wasn't all that vibrant in 2000. There's my call. And, uh, you know, the, the Xbox and GameCube were, uh, discontinued. I gotta go. I thank, got a call right now. That, thank you, Michael. Okay, thank I, you. All right. Thank you very much. <laughs> have, have a good one. Well, there you have it. That was our call with Mr. Michael Pachter from Woodbush Morgan Securities. He's a research analyst there and also host of the Pack Attack. I hope you enjoyed the uh, the informative little conversation that we had with Michael. And please look forward to more of these intimate conversations with Dual Shockers. We're looking forward in 2014 to have a little, having a couple more of these in more in depth, more intimate conversations with industry insiders. Thanks for listening.